0: We have something worth talking about. We have an on-ice product. We have Knox Hockey. Season is back. How good is that? Yeah, I mean, meaningful games, right? I mean, the preseason,
1: as fun as it, as fun as it is to watch this team slowly kind of gel together and lines get made or put together, we've got games where points
0: are actually on the line. Yeah, man, I mean, it was just so nice last night. I, I, I came home work i got all comfy cracked a beer and put on the canucks game and rain was hitting the window i'm just like ah this is this time of year you know and that's another thing right is like everything's been thrown out of whack for for so long uh canucks season starting in october we didn't get that last year no i mean the season didn't start till
1: what was it like early january and there was even still talk that the season might not even happen uh but yeah it's so nice to actually have Canucks games to talk about. It's going to be weird, though, because the season started on time this year, but it's not going to end on time with the big Olympic break in February, right? So I believe the final game of the season for the Canucks is like April 26th, where in past years, the beginning of April is when the season ends and you go into playoffs.
0: Yeah, that's true, and we haven't had an Olympic season in eight years i guess as well right like, it's been a while since we and mcdavid
1: we've mcdavid's never represented canada at the
0: olympics so we finally get to see wow. mcdavid play at the olympics which is great and that's going to be uh, something fun to watch uh, as the season goes on is is picking who's going to be on on this olympic team uh, i'm glad there's an olympic break this year um even if it does kind of condense things and move things around a bit but uh, I, I mean it's so we saw last night we saw the Canucks we saw the, them play the Oilers and we're going to talk about that uh, of course but now like uh, we got the Flyers and the Red Wings coming up after this and geez, it's been a long time since we've seen anyone outside of Canada
1: yeah it's actually kind of nice to see teams outside of the great north the great white north here uh philly is always a great Matchup for the Canucks, and obviously, you know, they just picked up Zach McEwen, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Also, I don't think we mentioned we have a guest on this week's episode, uh, Terry Guest. Uh, I'm sure most of you follow him on Twitter, but if you don't, uh, you should. You can follow Terry at Terry Guest29. But uh, yeah, obviously, the Flyers they picked up Zach McEwen off waivers, uh, so you know, I'm sure he'll get in the lineup against the Canucks on Friday, which is tomorrow. Uh, we're recording this Thursday night. Uh, yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to to the season really getting underway
0: here. Any kind of thoughts on seeing the Kraken? I mean, that's the big story in the NHL is uh, the Seattle Kraken finally out there. I mean, watching opening night, Seattle and Vegas, I'm like, geez, what a world this is, eh? Seattle and Vegas. Who who would have thought? But the NHL finally unleashes the Kraken, 32 teams. They get another big market in the West Coast. I I think the league's got to be pretty happy with uh, everything they've seen from the Kraken and the fan base so far, eh? absolutely I mean look I as a Canuck fan I, I can't
1: stand the Vegas Golden Knights especially since you know they took us out in the bubble uh, a year ago that being said though I mean Vegas has been an incredible success story in the since they've come into the league and Seattle even though I didn't think they did great in the expansion draft, I still think Seattle so far, by all accounts, has been a, a another real positive for the league. I think the Seattle fan base is going to be uh, very supportive of that organization and that franchise. And uh, yeah, now we have... Uh A rival just down the road from us which is nice you know the Canucks have never really had that rival you know obviously you know you got Edmonton you got Calgary but the Battle of Alberta is always going to trump any rivalry we have with either of those two teams and now we've got an actual rival that you know uh, hopefully you know in the coming years uh, will be some great playoff
0: matches I mean, as long as I've been a Canucks fan, it's been a floating rival, whether, you know, Winnipeg or Minnesota or Chicago or Boston or L.A. or whoever. But all those teams, none of those fan bases really say, oh, yeah, well, the Canucks are our biggest rival. It just it never happened. This Vancouver, Seattle thing finally, for the first time in Canucks history, creates a natural geographic rival and it's going to take a little while for that to to build and fester and grow but it will. And what this also does with for the Canucks is with the last two teams coming into the league in Vegas and Seattle, is it will actually reduce some of their travel time. And the Canucks have long been this island way out there who've had to travel more than any other team. And now you've got a neighbor there where you can, hey, you can take a bus to the game if you want. Even Vegas, it's not that far and it's just one time zone over. Uh, these are things that finally getting 16 in the east 16 in the west it's going to help vancouver they're still going to travel more than most other teams certainly a lot of those northeastern u.s teams but this for me is is, it's it's a big thing is is finally like you said having that national natural sorry geographic rival and i mean vancouver and seattle you got to go back to the the old pacific coast league days i mean. I guess we got the WHL as well, right? Like you got the Giants and uh, and the Thunderbirds, and but is is that even a big rival? I think a lot of people in Vancouver would say, oh, Kelowna and Kamloops are bigger rivals or Victoria than uh, than Seattle and Everett in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've got the Cascadia
1: Cup essentially, right, between uh, Seattle yeah. and Vancouver, which is nice. And yeah, to have that geographical rival is something that I think. Vancouver's really been missing since, you know, I've been a fan, which was, you know, the late eight, mid to late 80s. Um, and you see all the Canadians head down to Seattle to watch Blue Jays games in the middle of July and August. And I'm sure, you know, once the land borders open up and, you know, travel becomes a little less restricted, you're going to see road trips of Canucks fans heading down to Seattle to to storm... Enemy territory, and to you know, cheer on the Canucks, and it's going to be great. And we're going to see the exact same thing of a lot of Seattle fans coming up to Vancouver to do the exact same thing in Vancouver. It, it is really nice. Uh, you know, it's nice to see Seattle. I like those jerseys as well, they look really crisp on the ice. I have to say, uh, especially those road whites, I really like the way mm-hmm. they look. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm really excited. For Seattle, I don't think they're going to be any good this year. So I'm exceptionally excited <laughs> as a Canucks fan that they're not going to be good this year. Unlike uh, when the Golden Knights came into the league. But uh, yeah, man, it, it's great for the league. It's great for the Canucks and it's great for the sport on as
0: a whole. Yeah, these may be the only nice things we say about uh, the Kraken ever. But, um, I I mean, I like Seattle. I like the city. I like uh, going down there. And, Doug, you and I have done it a couple times. We've gone down there and seen Seahawks. uh, And we've seen Mariners. uh, We've seen uh, Sounders games. Like, we've gone down there and, and seen a few different things. The ability to go down there and see an NHL game, is quite exciting because I really enjoy going to Seattle. It's been, obviously, a few years now, but it's a fun town to go out in, and now you chuck in the ability to go and see an NHL game down there as well, and maybe even the Canucks play down there. Like I I love going to see the Canucks on the road. I've been lucky enough to do it a few times in a few different buildings, and I cannot wait to go and do it down in Seattle. But, yeah, for me, like this is really exciting. A a Vancouver-Seattle rivalry outside of the MLS. Um, This is really, uh like it, it hasn't happened before. Vancouver has never had that rival and uh, we are now finally set up for that uh, so hey, welcome to the league Kraken um but I hope you suck.
1: <laughs> I could agree with you more. like I said, I, you know welcome to the league, but uh yeah I you
0: know, I hope you fall flat on your face. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me a bit of when the Jets came back, and I think we were at that game when the Jets came back to town. And they, you know, the Jets took the ice, and I applauded. Hey, it's the Jets! And then as soon as the puck dropped, I started booing them because I like, yeah, the love affair is <laughs> over uh, already. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it's it, it's great to see you, though. It's good for the league, and um, I mean, Seattle is going to embrace it. Seattle's uh, a great fan base. Um, as you mentioned, we got Terry coming up. Uh, you can also follow us uh, online. I'm at Pete underscore Gas, and uh, the podcast. podcast is at canuck speak give me a follow on twitter at doug venn and pete and i continue to
1: build this playlist on spotify it's the canuck speakeasy outro playlist be
0: sure to give that a follow another funky jam is going to be added to that playlist at the end of this episode so, Doug, I'm itching to talk some Canucks here. So let's grab Terry on the line. Let's talk about the season opener against Edmonton, uh, the waiver wire, the Yo Levy trade, um, and let's get Terry's take on it all. Let's do it. Joining us now, we have our guest for the week, Terry Guest. Uh, a two-time appearance now for you, Terry, I believe. Uh, and you can follow Terry on Twitter as well, at Terry Guest 29. Terry, welcome back to the speakeasy. Hello, guys. How are you? Uh, you know, it's been a day, but, uh, you know, we're all, uh, we're hanging in there. Just got some Thursday night football going over
2: here. Yes, me too. Yeah, it's good to be on again. It's good to chat with you guys about some more Canucks. We've had a pretty exciting game last night, so let's good start to the year and happy to be back on.
1: Well, and it's nice that we have actual games to talk about, a trade to talk about. A couple of waiver wire pickups or players that we've lost. Yeah, actual Canucks talk, guys. No more okay. speculation, man. I love it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Doug. It's it's nice to actually talk about what is happening. And we got our first look at the team. And I mean, the game last night was interesting. There's some ups, some downs, some uh, some good, some bad. I thought, um, Terry, like, what are you, what are your kind of first thoughts after one game? What what are some things that kind of stood out for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't want to sort of over-exaggerate the first game because you saw a lot of jitters get out of the way early, I thought. Um, in terms of some looks, I liked how the bottom six was working. I like Hoglander a lot. I thought he was competing really hard. Got some good looks. Um, I thought Colson looked like he was he was okay out there. Uh, I thought he was getting his feet under him pretty early. Um, Dickinson was, he looked kind of... He was there. and I wasn't really seeing a whole lot from him. Um, I liked how Pullman looked. I thought he was um, doing well against McDavid, surprisingly.
0: Let me uh, let's start with um, with Pod Colson there because Pod Colson was. It, there's a part of me that couldn't help but think last night that he was getting a bit of the KHL treatment again. You know, he was. Uh, I, I didn't. I actually haven't seen the final stats of the game, but I know in the third, he had the least amount of ice time out of every Canuck. And um, I, 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 I like is this a bit of a Travis green thing? I mean, you know, I, I know there's a lot of, a lot of people have different kinds of issues sometimes with the way green coaches and his preference for vets over young guys. But I, when some of these guys come back, do you guys think that pod Colson is going to stick around with the club when he's only getting a handful of minutes a game, or do you think they're going to loan him down to Abbotsford?
2: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You say that because i That's sort of the way I've always felt with Green is that he seems to favor those guys that are the older veterans. You look at Chase on last night. He sticks first line, first PP the whole night, and there wasn't really much adjustments made there. I do wonder. I think he's obviously just sort of a placeholder from a Besser's back. He's not going to stick there. But I would have liked to have seen him mix it up a bit last night to see what some other looks would have maybe looked like like what a Hoglander on the first line or like maybe a pot colson jumping up how that would have looked. But I do wonder about what does happen when a guy like Mott gets back in the lineup, Um, a guy like Lockwood who impressed a lot in camp. You know, I've, I don't think I've seen a whole lot from Pod Colson yet where I'm like, he looks really comfortable and he looks like he's, he's going to stick. I do wonder what maybe some top six minutes would look like for him in the HO. I know. Um, some people would maybe disagree with him being in the AHL, but um, I, I wonder what that would look like.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, both of you guys that I do think Green tends to favor the vets over the young guys. That being said, Nils Hoglander did win a spot in the top six last year, and he played pretty much predominantly in the top six. I do think, just my opinion, I think the fact that Besser wasn't playing last night I think that they didn't get a chance to do the three C's, which they've kind of been looking like they were going to do all preseason with Horvat, Miller, and Pedersen. And they've had Miller and Pod Colson staple to one another. So I do wonder if they were able to actually go ahead with their plan, at least that's what the plan was during the preseason, to have three centers of Miller, Horvat, and Petey, if Pod Colson would have gotten more ice time. And the fact that they were playing from behind heading into the third period, I think green was trying to play his horses.
0: I think there's a couple of good points in what you guys said. I mean, first of all, it is worth noting that 25% of what we projected to be our starting 12 forwards did not play last night. There's no Mott. There's no Sutter. and There's no Besser. And I thought the Besser one in particular, obviously was really noticeable last night. It pushed other guys around the lineup. Uh, Hoglander as well. I, I, I would have liked to see him get a bit more. I know he originally wasn't on the power play. He eventually was able to take a spot on PP2, which I think was Tanner Pearson's spot. Hoglander, to me, I thought he might have been the best Canucks forward last night. I I thought he had a ton of zip. He had a ton of speed. He looks really good. And, and again, it's like, for me, it's like, okay, well, Hoglander looks good tonight. Where is he? Where's he in the shootout? Why is, why is he not moving up pod Colson. yeah, okay. It's his first game. I get it. And he's, he's designated into a fourth line role, but he was the lowest ice time on the team. I finally pulled it up here. seven thirty four, 34, uh, which is about two minutes less than Justin Dowling. And I know Dowling's a center and about two and a half minutes less than uh, Lamico as well. Um, but for me, it's like, you know, I, I want to see, I, I know everything's a little bit of a jumble, a little bit of a blender right now, but Chaseon didn't seem to have a shot last night, but there was ample opportunities given to him. Like, is there some thought with you guys that maybe Green should be a little bit more reactionary and ride some hot hands a little bit more with the team when, when he's got some guys it seems to me are going and other guys aren't?
2: Yeah, I think that could be something that you could say has been a critique of Green most of his time with the Canucks. Um, I would like to see the live juggler come out a bit more. Um, I know it's game one, and I think there's a bit of merit to the idea of he's just trying to see what he's got with each line and then maybe react next game. Um, But I do agree with especially Hoglander with him having such a good year last year for him to kind of then jump down out of the top six seems i know you got garland in there and that's obviously a guy you're gonna you're paying as a top six forward but um i would love to have seen maybe hoglander up there and set a chase on especially on the second power play at least right you would think that'd be a quick and easy adjustment i agree would make but like i said i think there's some merit to the idea of keeping the lines together for a game
0: what are you guys thoughts on Connor Garland? Um, I I was pretty impressed with him. He's he's a shifty guy. And one thing I tweeted about last night was. He's got this interesting kind of, it reminded of me of the Sedins a bit, a uh, smaller guy, but he uses his body to protect the puck when he does his zone entries. And I thought that was kind of interesting. He's using his speed, comes into the zone, uses his body, almost turns his back to the play, and is able to then cycle the puck around. Um, I, I thought he looked pretty good. I, I'm excited to see what we got with Garland. He didn't really get many good looks, but um, guys, uh, initial thoughts on Connor Garland? Yeah, I thought Garland played well. I mean,
1: he definitely is a good skater. He He's creative with the puck. You know, he had a couple of misfires with his shot, I thought. Um, And I think he's still, you know, kind of getting comfortable with a new team and learning a new offense and all that stuff. But I liked what I saw with Garland. I thought as the game went on, he actually got better, which I think a lot of Canucks, I know early on, there was a really high pace in the game. And it was kind of end to end action between uh, McDavid and the Canucks. Uh, But Garland was one of the guys. And like you guys both said, Hoglender as well that I thought just continued to play better as the game went on. And I thought he was more and more noticeable as the game went on. And he also got some overtime uh, ice time as well, as did Hoglander, which I know a lot of people were crying about Hoglander not being on the power play. And, you know, why is Chase on the first unit power play? But, you know, Green did throw Hoglander out there in OT, which I thought was, you know, generally not something
0: Green would do. Uh, it's funny you said that because right when they threw him out there, I was just cursing. and I'm like, "Where the heck is Niels?" Ho-? Oh, wait, there he is, uh, number twenty-one. That's another thing I'm getting used to is uh, the number twenty-one, the Mason Raymond number uh, with, with Niels Hoglander. Um, I wanted to ask you guys uh, as well, um, just a, a couple of thoughts about the blue line, and I know you mentioned Tucker Poolman earlier. I thought Poolman played well, but there, uh, and I, I, I quite like the looks of him, but to me, the blue line was really interesting from what we saw last night there, there's a different look and whether you love it or hate it um I, I'm trying to pick a guy to start with here I'm gonna I'm gonna choose Kyle Burroughs because I think that's kind of um a bit of a surprise to me that Kyle Burroughs was in the lineup are you guys surprised that Burroughs made the opening night roster
2: I was um I was actually quite shocked I didn't really see a whole lot of him in the preseason I didn't see him, there was much of a focus on him really at all Um, I thought for sure Rathbone would be there it wasn't really in my mind that was a lock after playing every single preseason game but I was quite surprised I thought he played fairly well Um, I honestly can't say I focused a lot on his game but I yeah I was definitely surprised to not see a Luke Shen or like even maybe a Brad Hunt on his opposite side there
0: and for everything, all the grief I've just kind of given Travis Green there, to roll out a pairing of Rathbone and Burrows, that's not a very Green-like thing to
2: do, eh? No, he was, the fact that he threw basically, in essence, two rookies. I know, you know Burrows is a bit older, but in terms of NHL games, those are two rookies in theory out on the third pair. Um, it, it's going to be an interesting balance all year with the defense, obviously losing Hamannick as your, one of your top four guys and not really having a guy to, you know, replace him right away. is going to make things interesting all year for green to kind of figure out.
0: But, you know, it's funny is Rathbone has actually played more NHL games than, uh, than Burroughs, which is, which is crazy to, to think about, but I, I, it's, it was an interesting, I, I, I appreciated that. Um, Doug, what, what about you? What did you think of that third line pairing?
1: Yeah. I thought Kyle Burroughs played well, to be honest. I mean, he looked like he belonged, uh, in the NHL. Uh, I, I think Shen really struggled the last couple of preseason games and I know they're preseason games, but I think Burroughs equated himself. Well, uh, you know, he, obviously he's not a guy that's going to, you know, get you a bunch of points or he's going to be flashy, but we've always said that, that, you know, you kind of want that from body, bottom pairing guys. You want those guys that you don't notice. Those yeah. are kind of the, you know, solid players for your bottom pairing defense. And I, I like Burroughs and Rathbone Uh, I agree. I thought Tucker Pullman looked really good yesterday. And then the other guy that I think, I think most Canucks fans, even the staunch negative fans, all were saying how good OEL looked. I thought Oliver Ekman Larson looked great last night, had the A on the Jersey as well, which I thought was a nice touch. I didn't think they would put a letter on his Jersey uh, this early in the season. Uh, I thought he really equated himself well last night. He was physical. Uh, and we'll also have to talk about another physical <laughs> play last night at some <laughs> point. But OEL was physical. He had an active stick. There were a couple of times when it looked like he was going to get turn stalled by McDavid or Drysaddle, and he kept his stick in play and was able to kind of poke check the puck away from them. So, yeah, I thought OEL really looked good. Whether or not he can keep that pace up for a full 82 game schedule over the course of the next seven, eight years, who knows? But upon first glance, I thought he really played well.
0: I, I totally agree. I think, and I mean, scoring a goal, you couldn't help but think that, Hey, look, number 23 scored a goal in his first game, which is something we were clamoring for all of last year. And hey, I love Alex Edler, but Ekman Larson looks a lot better out there than Alex Edler did. And again, there's you know, nothing against Alex Edler, but Ekman Larson looked to fit in very well. I thought, I thought as well that good effort from him. Nice to see him get the goal. And I mean, you've, you've alluded to it. And I, I think Tyler Myers, the elephant in the room um, here. Now, Tyler Myers, there's a couple of things. And, and let me just preface with that. First of all, he was getting a lot of flack on the first goal against, uh, the first Oilers goal, because he was standing. Now, I know Harmon pointed out, he was like, oh, I know a lot of you're blaming Myers. I'm actually blaming Chase on. And then for me, and I hate to do this, I was kind of blaming Petey, because Petey peeled off his man there. Um, And then Myers comes back and lays that monster boom on Keith and gets up and drops uh, whoever he, he was as well. Um, I, I, I'm not like, I'm not on that Tyler Myers hate train. I know a lot of people are, but I think Myers is better than a lot of people give him credit for. He certainly has his gaffes. And I know if there's certain people out there, like I know Jenna, if you're listening, you're, you're probably just unfollowing me on Twitter right now, but (laughs) I, I do think Myers is better than a lot of fans give him credit for because they don't like his analytics and they don't like his contract. Um, Terry, why don't you take it from here? Thoughts on OEL and Myers, kind of the two highest paid D men on uh, the Canucks after Quinn Hughes?
2: Yeah, well, I'll start with OEL, kind of to shadow a lot of what you guys said there. I thought he looked phenomenal. Um, the way he, there's one play where he had a lot of patience, came in, took a shot. Um, it was a good good effort, he was managed to get back. And I think Nurse almost got a bit of an angle on him, but he was able to get his stick in the way. Um, I saw a lot of very good decision making. I liked the way he looked on the power play. I saw Green um, a couple of times there in the third. Switched him with Hughes, um, and that looked pretty good. He looks very natural out there. He looks super comfortable. Um, I, and when the trade happened, I was I was definitely on the side of, I thought that he was going to become, I don't know if he's going to be a Norris level guy, like he may have been at one point in his career, but I definitely thought given a different sort of scenery, more competition and just more comfortable with his, you know, having the schemes there and that sort of thing. I thought that it would help him turn his career around. And I think, I don't want to overreact on one game, but I definitely feel like he has, he's got a good place in this lineup right now. Um, in terms of Myers, I think I agree with you there too, Pete. I think with Myers, what happens is his mistakes are a lot louder than his, um, than his good things. And I think that with him, he does do a lot of, um, sometimes it can be sort of funny plays. Or he might look out of place. But in regards to the goal you're talking about, it, it certainly felt like a team collapse. You know, you had Chiesong go one way. He left a guy. Petey jumps up to try to cover there. Myers is worried about the backdoor pass. So he's kind of trying to stay in between. And then and, and, and JT, I don't even, he just dropped a stick. And it was, it was just, it was kind of a mess, right? So um, I do agree with the idea that Myers is not always the worst defenseman on the team. But it's just, <laughs> his mistakes are loud and they always end up being what people want to focus on, right? So.
1: Yeah, I also think with Myers, a lot of the times I think he's playing over his head in in the sense that the team is deploying him in positions where he's probably going to fail. You know, he's getting top PK minutes, at least he did last year. He's on the second unit power play, plus he's playing close to, you know, 18 minutes, 5-on-5. He's a guy that I think, you know, could be a top four solid defenseman. But you need to shelter his minutes. I don't think he should be on your top unit PK. I don't think he should be playing, you know, 18-plus minutes, 5-on-5, generally speaking. Uh, But, I I, I mean, hey, I mean, the fact that, what was it, nine years later, someone finally got revenge on Duncan Keith for that cheap-ass elbow he laid on Daniel Sedin. I mean, Myers became a folk hero last night in Vancouver, you know, much like – Uh, Was it uh, Jeff Cowan, the Brabarian? You know, like (laughs) Tyler Myers kind of has been elevated regardless of what you think of him as the player and the contract and all the mistakes he can make. And I think you make a really good point, Terry, that his mistakes are so much louder than like the good and subtle plays he makes. But the fact that he blew up Duncan Keith last night, I I mean, every fan in Vancouver was ecstatic. And again, you don't want to see a player hurt. You don't want Keith to, you know, be concussed, you know, especially this day and age with player safety being such a strong topic, but Hey, you know, what goes around comes around.
2: Absolutely,
0: <laughs> Yeah. And, and you know what? Like, it was a clean hit. That was great. And I mean, he just, if this was the NBA, that'd be a posterizing, right? That was, oh, yeah. and, and then he follows it up with the fight. You know, you talked about team toughness uh, and you also talk about um, the use of Myers. And this is something where it's going to be interesting to watch, uh, on both those levels with the Canucks, because I know, uh, and we're going to talk about this a, a bit here as well, is um, you know team toughness and whether you need guys in there to drop the gloves. And it's game one, and Tyler Myers dropped the gloves and he laid the big hit, and so there's a bit of team toughness there. But then again, the usage of a guy like Tyler Myers is like, well, okay, it, it seems like he's out of the power play now, barring injuries. I don't think you know you've gotten you got your three guys on two power play units on the blue line that are going to do that. And then you, is the penalty kill. Yeah. You're probably going to still need Tyler Myers on the penalty kill. I mean, yeah, there's the penalty kill with the Canucks and who's playing out. there still really wide open and up for grabs, but it is nice to see in game one. And, and uh, yeah, again, I know people are focused on Tyler Myers looking like a pylon blocking that corner pass but I, I agree with what you said terry that that whole play like i was watching that and like you could feel it coming i'm just like wait oh, what what's go-? oh of course it's yeah easy. and then nobody took pulley art like it was just like really quickly there was just a series of events you could see the box expanding and the open ice forming it was just like oh they're they're running wild right here like you need to get a shot into the crest on demko and he's got to smother it and then that didn't happen
2: yeah and i think there was um the fact that last night with the situation with PD and Hughes from the pre from the offseason, having these lines just for the whole preseason just completely changed almost on a game-to-game basis. And he threw PD in there and all of a sudden Miller's now his winger again, which I know there's obvious chemistry, but you got Chase on there. So they're not there's not a lot of chemistry there. So there's there's some merit to the fact that when they're on the ice five on five like that, there was just there could have been a lot of miscommunication going on there too, right? Um and I think Going back to sort of the Myers thing, it is a bit of an odd fit now when you have sort of three more offensive defensemen on your left side now with OEL and with Rathbone as well as Hughes. So, with Myers kind of sort of being an offensive first guy, it's a bit of a strange fit with all those guys. But I think if Myers is able to sort of adapt his game a little bit and just focus a bit more on the defensive I know cues and um, talked about wanting well, to be better defensively, but it's, you know, he's, he's an offensive first guy. He's always going to be. That's, that part of his game is never going to change. Um, so I think if you could see Myers just continue to develop a bit more on the defensive side of his game, he could have a better fit. And I think going back to what Doug said about for so long, he may have gotten overplayed and put into poor positions where he may have not been out there and shouldn't have been out there in the first place. Again, it makes his, it makes his blunders look big again.
1: Well, and again, I know this is a, you know, a broken record, but not having Hamannick to start the year also forces Myers into a penalty killing role, right? Cause your right side would be Tucker Pullman, Travis Hamannick on the PK, but now Myers, I mean, I doubt green's going to trust Burroughs to play PK minutes. So now you're kind of forced to put Myers in that role, which again, you know, I thought he played relatively well. I know people are hard on him on the first goal, uh, there was a lot of mistakes on that goal. It wasn't just one guy. Um, but yeah, and I, I know some people, I saw some people thought Demko should have had it regardless. I thought I saw some people thought that Demko should have, you know, been able to, to stop that. But yeah, it, it, I think being able to shelter Myers' minutes and have him play more of a definitive role and not play above his expectations, I, I think we could see arguably one of the better seasons out of Myers this year.
0: Yeah. I mean, let, let's hope so. Right. I mean, it, the Canucks blue line, it, there's so many questions. I mean, once we, like we, I, like I mentioned earlier, 25% of our starting 12 forwards are out. We've lost a couple guys on the depth chart as well, which is why I think chase on was, was brought in, in particular, but the blue line is really going to make or break the team this year in, in a lot of ways. Right. I mean, you've got a left side that's very offensive and a right side that's got some question marks uh, and, and I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. Um, and, and, you know, I mentioned with Tyler Myers and team toughness um, a, a lot has been made about uh, the, the departures, how the Canucks have lost uh, Jonah gadjevich and Zach McEwen uh, on waivers is, is that a concern for you guys with, with team toughness and how do you feel that those losses really affect the team and going forward? And Terry, why don't, why don't you start with that one?
2: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting topic for sure. Um, You're seeing a lot of teams the last couple of years with Tampa having guys like Patty Maroon, Corey Perry for Montreal, having a couple of those older veteran type guys in the bottom six that can, you know, they can set up for guys, they can mix it up a bit. And I think maybe that's sort of why you see a guy like Jason get a contract is they can see him doing playing that part. Um, with Zach, it's one of those situations where, you know, he had chances after chances and it just never felt like he was picking up that NHL side of this game, besides the fact that he could drop the gloves and the fact that he could lay a couple big hits. But it's also a weird scenario because I kind of, I, I don't know if I would say he had a fair shot, but it definitely seemed like green never clicked with him. He was constantly, even last year when the guys they got guys like Jimmy VC and, uh, you know, he had high more playing top line minutes at some points and it just never seemed like McEwen got that shot. Um, I, I don't love the fact that they've lost a few guys on waivers. I know it happens to every team and it just sort of is what it is and that's sort of why the team went out and signed guys like DJ and Lockwood Impressed and Dowling's in there and bought and all these guys. Um, Gajevic, a bit more of a tough pill to swallow for myself. Um, I thought he had a lot of promise based on the fact that every year it felt like he came back and he worked on something, he got better and he got better. And you see last year with the goals in the AHL, which I know there, the AHL might have been a bit more watered down than it normally is, but goals are goals and he was still he still put them in. And then this year he comes in. He talked in the off season. I heard a couple of interviews with him on Canucks Convo about how he was working on his skating and that he he went out and got a new coach to work on his skating. And then he clearly showed the improvements. And then, you know, to lose my waivers definitely is a tough one.
1: Yeah, I think with Gajevic, it was, you know, the Canucks risked it. They they figured he wasn't going to get claimed. I know there was reports of internal discussion within the organization where it was kind of split some people thought he would get claimed some people didn't At the end of the day they threw him on waivers and he got claimed which was unfortunate McEwen look I thought last year was McEwen's year I thought last year was the year for him to really make an impact on this team and you know maybe he wasn't in Green's you know best books or whatever but I just I always felt like I wanted more out of McEwen and he never fully delivered. You would see these brief flashes, but it wasn't consistent enough, in my opinion. And a lot of the times, like for a guy his size, He is a really fast skater, and yet very often he wouldn't get, you know, fast on the forecheck. He wouldn't be hard on the puck, winning puck battles along the boards. Not often enough, in my opinion, to really make an impact on the team. It sucks to lose him, but I also think it's in regards to your original question, Pete, about team toughness, you got Luke Shen, who can drop the gloves. Tucker Pullman is a guy that can drop the gloves as well. I mean, Myers, I know he's big, but, you know, he can put up a fight, and Horvat Miller like you got guys that I think can step up and you know drop the gloves and you know stick up for teammates and I know that's always been a hot button topic in Vancouver you know Vancouver fans are a little bit sensitive when you see cheap shots taken at our players and guys never stand up but I do think that this team does have guys that can fill that toughness void that aren't the prototypical bottom
0: you know fourth line goon JT Miller right now looks like he would fun, fight the lunch lady. Uh, he's just got that <laughs> the, 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 kind of that yeah. grumpy old uh, look about him right now. Um, for me, I mean, the days and again, I've got a lot of, the, you know, like kind of old school hockey thoughts about things. And uh, the, but the days of having that guy who's there just to fight uh, are over. And, uh, you know, I like Zach McEwen, but the reality is, is there's a lot of guys just like Zach McEwen out there. This is not a big loss for the Canucks in any stretch. The Gajovich one certainly hurts. We ran a poll on the Canucks Speakeasy Twitter account. um, Just asking if you could bring back one guy, who would you bring back? Lind, and McEwen and over 60% said Gajovich, And I, I think that's the right call, right? Like Lind again, Seattle put him on waivers. We don't know. He it, it's, it's, what's going to happen there McEwen he's 25 he's I don't think you're going to get much more out of him and then uh, Gajevic is obviously younger He scored goals that one certainly hurts especially going to San Jose where Dolan is as well and you know as joking I'm like I'm going to look for the Vegas odds on Dolan from Gajevic or the other way around uh, at some point this year but it's important to remember everyone out there it's important to remember that every team every team overvalues their own players and prospects. It, oh, absolutely. And, totally. And I'm not saying that as any like, you know, soften the cushion for me, McEwen, that one doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, it, it, it sucks, but it is what it is. If you're losing a guy like that on waivers. It, it happens to teams. The Canucks were grabbing guys like that for off waivers all last year. And again, it didn't work out, but, but whatever Jonah gadget, that one does kind of hurt. I think the Canucks thought they could sneak him through on a big waiver day. Um, but, and I thought he was going to get through uh, to be honest, but you know, it, it sucks. Didn't quite happen, but here we are. I, I don't think at the end of the day that losing either of those guys or even Cole into expansion, that's not a deal breaker. Yes. Two of those guys were second round picks, but it's not going to ultimately affect the course of this team. And I think a lot of fans focus on these things more these fringe things as opposed to being like hey we got Pedersen and Hughes back in the lineup and they're signed long term like we should be focusing a lot more of our energy on these the players that are in the lineup the players that are here and the players that are making a difference and I know people will be like no you got to manage all your assets it's like well when you get to a point where you're more competitive you're going to lose assets, right? And this is just part of the way it goes. And you have to have next man up mentality, but you also need the guys who are with your club actually playing. The other thing,
1: this is an expansion year. Another team was added to the league. So there's 24 more jobs and however many more prospects that need to be filled out. And a lot of teams lost depth this year because of the expansion draft. So guys like Gajevic, guys like Lind, and I know Seattle ended up putting Lind back on waivers and I believe he cleared but, you know, those guys are now more valuable because the depth across the entire league has been depleted
0: with Seattle coming in. It's just it's not depleted necessarily, but more watered down. Yes, uh, yeah, yes. yeah, for sure. And, and you know, what we've seen that uh, throughout the years. And it's it, the NHL when they did that rapid expansion, you really did notice that uh, when uh, they had what the five teams come in in three years or something like that. Uh, you did notice it and it's nice this time, at least with Vegas and Seattle, but 32 teams, you're right. You know, another 23 jobs out there, another farm team, another, another seven players that go in a draft. Like it, it, it does mean that, you know, you're placing more value on guys who have some sort of minor league statistics behind them as well. Speaking of draft, uh, what are your guys thoughts on the much
1: maligned Olio Olevi being sent to Florida?
2: Yeah, I mean, for me with Ulevi, um, a guy that's had a lot of bad luck. Um, I, I I put a tweet out recently saying kind of there's merits to both arguments of should he have been the fifth overall pick. I don't believe so at the time. I really thought Chuck was the guy to go with. I thought I still remember when he went up and said for the London Knights, and I was like, Oh, here we go. And then it was Levy. Yeah. Um, I know Benny has come out recently and kind of Give a bit of a back story of why he went with Uolevy that they did decide to go with positional need over BPA at the time. I think we can all see from previous history that's not really ever the best move. Um, but, anyways, it is what it is. Um, and I don't think Uolevy was ever going to become an NHLer, especially on this roster with how much depth there became on the left side with adding yeah, with Rathbone jumping up and in the signing of Brad Hunt and where does Ulevi sit after all of that. Um, I do think there's some merit to the fact that the injuries played a part in his development. Um, I think he was slowed down dramatically by several injuries to his knees. Um, I know that people will say that he wasn't developing that well before he was drafted, but to me, it's like you can't say that those injuries didn't play a big role Um, I think what ended up happening at the end was the Canucks really felt that if they put him on waivers, that he would get claimed and that they wanted to get a piece back and getting a guy like Noah Juleson, who is a local kid. He's from, he was born in Surrey, but grew up in Abbotsford. Um, He's a guy that's young, sort of not proven yet. He's going to be able to play AHL up and down. He's gone through waivers already. So that was a nice, you know, don't have to worry about that. And then I think, what really sealed the deal was the fact that the news came out about sutter about that he's might not even come back this year we don't know and i think they felt they needed a, another piece in the bottom six like lamico who could kill penalties a bit of a bigger guy could play center and he needed another piece that could fill in that role because it doesn't sound like sutter is even on the ice right now let alone you know play this year so i thought the trade was fine given the circumstances um it's you know it's obviously tough to see your you know a top five pick of your organization get traded out for a couple of death pieces but i think given what with what he was worth nowadays i think that was a good trade for them um it's tough i think we all wanted to see it work for you alevi but it's just the way it worked out
0: and I was with you. I wanted Kachuk as well. Um, I've I've never been a fan of drafting for positional need. I always think you take the best player available. And I know Levy was the top defenseman in the draft and the Canucks defenseman cupboards were bare. And everyone was saying, well, the, the first defenseman to go that year would be Yolevi. And uh, of course, we know how that's gone. Uh, I mean, to get any sort of return, I think is good. Um, Lamiko is a guy who's played 84 games over the last couple of years with the Panthers, um, as well. He's, he's got some great stats, uh, in the Finnish league as well. He had a huge year in Finland one year, um, during, um, I guess I was during COVID, uh, uh, that year, but he, um, he's a guy who can play and you're now at least bringing in a part and you're bringing in a, a right side D who may not amount to anything, but you're at least taking a shot on, on this guy. And you're at least getting something back. It, it's certainly not the ideal situation. Um, one thing I'll give the credit to the Canucks for is that they've stopped kind of doubling down on some of their mistakes. And we've seen that with a lot of moves this off season. I mean, I tweeted as well about how there's seven guys who played last night against Edmonton who were in the opening night roster from last year. That's insane. That's a 70% roster turnover uh, just over one year. And, you know, the Vertanen and your Levy picks, I mean, we, we all hear whispers, uh, who was involved, was Linden involved, was that involved, blah, blah, blah. Like, I mean, they weren't good picks at the end of the day, they didn't work out. And the Canucks have a lot of first round picks, a lot of first round picks over the years who have not worked out. This is nothing new for the organization at least the last, after those picks, yeah, they've, they've done a lot better, but they've, they've cleared house with a lot of these mistakes and they're going all in balls to the wall here. And like, this doesn't work. You're going to see a lot more heads roll.
1: Yeah. I will say this. And, and again, I'm not necessarily trying to defend the Ulevi pick because I, I agree with you guys. I think Kachuk was the best player available. I know there were talks heading into the draft about his skating. And some people were doubting, you know, would he be an NHL caliber skater at the next level? And he has been. But the one thing I will say is that the two previous drafts, the Canucks took Vertanen, a winger, Besser, a winger, to draft three wingers in a row. I think that is also what kind of swayed them to go with the Ulevi pick. They also hadn't taken a defenseman in the first round since Luke Bourdon. Uh, which again, you know, decisions, and that's a whole other story about the tragedy of, you know, what happened or what could have happened if the Canucks had Luke Bordon, you'll levy. I think a lot of people forget how great of a season he had heading into that draft. He won the world junior championship. And I know we overhyped that tournament a lot, but the London Knights also won uh, the Memorial is it the Memorial trophy, right? The yeah. Memorial cup. Yeah. The- so they won the Memorial cup that year. He, I don't think he finished the playoffs with the most points, but he was second in uh, the OHL playoff points. And I believe he was second in the Memorial cup tournament. As far as points for a defenseman, he had a great year. I honestly, I, I, I don't think the Canucks after drafting wingers, back-to-back the previous years, we're going to draft another winger in Kachuk. And I agree. Like, I think the Canucks did pretty well. Noah Juleson is a lot similar to Ole Levy. Obviously, the draft capital used by the Montreal Canadiens wasn't the same as what the Canucks used to draft Olevy. But Juleson's another guy that's kind of been hampered by injuries. He's a guy that, you know, his development has kind of struggled the last few years. But he's a right-shot defenseman, which this organization needs. And I think hopefully he can carve out a solid career as a bottom pairing kind of shutdown D. And Lamico, I like what I see from this guy. You know, he is a bottom pairing guy, but he can give you solid penalty killing minutes. And the guy's got a motor, by all accounts. The guy, you know, he's got a motor. He's not the most skilled guy. Uh, you referenced Pete, the point totals he had in the F- Liga uh league or the finish league i believe he's had over 50 points in 55 games or something like that it was nearly a point a, a game player and to you know to get two quality players for Yolevi, who by all accounts seems like he's a bust i thought benning made out pretty well
0: yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, yeah, you you're you're pretty close with uh, the point totals for when he played with Carpat. It was 51 points in 57 games, which anyone who pays any sort of attention to those European leagues, that, that's pretty good numbers. That's not his role in the NHL. Um, but he does have that ability in there. He's very much a guy though that you can plug and play into the rotation and and we'll see what happens when we got guys coming back. There's going to be, have to be guys that get put on waivers, which takes me all the way back to pod Colson. And you know, a guys waiver exempt all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe you send him down and he can play with his buddy Demil Danila down there as well. Well, I was just going to say, Pete,
1: uh, you kind of stole my thunder there, but Klimovich is on the opening night roster for Abbotsford Canucks. And, you know, I, I, I still, I agree. I believe you said this earlier, Terry, that, you know, I, I do think that pod Colson should be on the NHL roster, but, sending him down there for a month, you know, get more caught up with the North American game, getting to play with his buddy Danila uh, Klimovich in Abbotsford. I don't think that's necessarily
0: a bad thing.
2: Yeah. And I think for me, the fact that like, like Pete mentioned, you know, he's playing eight minutes a night, if that's what Green's going to deploy him as, you know, that's like, that's a top six guy in the AHL. No problem on your first line getting caught PP minutes, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, I don't necessarily think Paul Colson is ever going to be a point point for game kind of player in the NHL. I don't think that's kind of his role or his game, but I think given a bit more opportunity, HL could serve him a bit better than playing on the Canucks fourth line with with some of your depth guys. Um, and then just kind of circling back to you, finishing up the Ulevi talk, um, I know there was an article that came out basically right after where they talked to Brian Burke about the draft and that Burke basically said that, you know if the Canucks had not taken you a levy, they were taking him at six. Um, and that's where, and that's where, as much as I and to your point, Doug, yeah, the fact that they just took two wingers, it would have seemed weird given the fact that they're going to take another winger and having nothing in your defense, um, would be tough to swallow at the same time, but you know maybe is there some merit to maybe a trade down where you get a little bit of a lower pick and get some more for it i don't know it's kind of hard to say now who would ever done that um and to pete's point about bpa now that's sort of way i always look at it too but i don't think it's a far cry to sit here and be like betting took a massive reach on a levy and that's why this pick didn't work out it was just a total swing and it was just what is he thinking Uwe Levy was a top ten pick in that draft, no doubt about it. He was, he was going top ten. There's no doubt he was not because of this because of like you said, he had a, a phenomenal year in the, in the juniors, right? So, you know, it's for me, it's like I see it as you know, Jake and Uwe Levy, a couple picks that didn't work out, but I want to look at what has he done past that. With Petey and Hughes and Demko and Besser working out, and Hoglander and in. and you can't tell me the evolution hasn't been bad, hasn't been good for drafting, right? And that's where I look at it as you made, you know, a couple of things didn't work out. There's tons of teams that look at Barry Eaton in Arizona. The kid still hasn't made the lineup, and he's look at this, look at the team there. How does he not crack that lineup? Or Josh Osang, or all these other guys that were taken, some of these other guys are taken as a top 10 pick and they didn't work out. It's not just the Canucks by no means. Right.
0: So yeah. Michael Del Cole, was taken right before uh, Jake for 10. What about that year that Boston whiffed on their, their triple picks in the, the first round there, right? Like uh, it happens. It's just, you've, you've got to hit. And it's what we've seen from Tampa as well is uh, a, a real key. It's not just the first round. The draft doesn't end at the first round. Really. You can win a draft with rounds two through 5 in particular and and I mean was it the levy year that was also the Lockwood year was it not um yes. yeah and I mean there's a chance that Will Lockwood could end up saving that draft for the Canucks um and and turning it into something but a, a lot of those teams that really get the depth you're hitting on a lot more picks and this is again this is a call where a lot of fans are like well Benning's supposed to be a, a draft guy where are these lottery picks? Why do we keep trading picks? I think that's that's certainly a, a perfectly valid argument for what is going on here. I mean, yes, okay, the, the first rounders have, have materialized. And yes, Pettersson, if you did a redraft, he wouldn't be there at five anymore. Hughes, same thing. He would have been gone uh, in his, I think he was seven or eight, wherever he was. He, he wouldn't have made it. Yeah, okay, so you're you're hitting on some of those guys. But it's not just that. You're getting seven lottery tickets every draft. What are you doing with those? How are, how are they turning out? And and recognizing the value in, in those picks as well.
1: Well, I think most teams are lucky if they can get two caliber NHL players in each draft. Like, I, I I think there's this, and teams like Tampa is a perfect example. I think Tampa, there was one year where they every pick they made in seven rounds hit. They're an NHL player. That never happens or very rarely happens. I think back to like the early two thousands, late nineties, Detroit Red Wings, where Mm -hmm. every late round pick, you know, they're getting guys like Datsuk and Zetterberg that doesn't happen often, you know, and those are the teams that end up going on, you know, these dynasty runs, because it's not the first round picks more often than not. Your first round picks end up being flops or failures. It's the late round picks where you really hedge your bets and you really make hay and guys like, Look at the Boston Bruins. I know, you know, Canuck fans hate the Bruins. But I look at Patrice Bergeron. He was a second-round pick. Uh, Brad Marchand, I believe, was a second-round pick. A lot of these guys, Brandon Carlo, you know, a lot of these guys that are really, you know, good, solid NHL players that are super successful to their team's uh, success are late-round picks. And that's the one thing that Benning hasn't done a great job with. But, I mean, Demko, to me, seems like he's a – you know, bona fide NHL goalie. And I I think he could be in the running for the Vesna Trophy this year. I really do. You just need to get more bullets in the chamber and have more chances of hitting on those late round picks. And I think that has been one criticism with Benning is that he's trading picks away instead of trying to add more picks. So maybe you do strike gold in the fifth round or a sixth round with some of these guys.
2: Well, I think that's sort of what some of the argument could be made about losing guys in the waiver wires, you know, could McEwen have gone for a pick in the off season if they didn't think that if they, if they had plans on, let's sign DJ Giuseppe let's sign um, Chiesa to bring him in, let's sign all these guys to be tweeners in the AHL. Where was McEwen really ever um, part of the plan? You know, could they have moved him for a pick? What about, you know, a guy like Gadjevich? was he, you know, did they think that he was going to clear waivers? I guess they thought, but do, so there's some merit to think that maybe there could have been some value there in the off season to get picks. Um, I think like what you said, there was, there's definitely a critique there with betting that, you know, his eggs are all in this, all in this lineup. You know, there's, there's not, there's really nothing coming besides Klimovich, which could be a, could have, could be a second round steal. We don't know yet, but he looks good, but there's, there's not much there. So if these guys that are in the lineup, don't, if this isn't a couple of years where they really start to compete I don't know what's
0: going to happen in the future. It's hard to say. I, I will say, though, as well, Terry, I mean, Will Lockwood is still, in my opinion, a prospect, uh, Mikey DiPietro. Um, mm-hmm. But you're, but I, I mean, I get your point. There's not that cupboard of, of blue chippers you know you're not looking down the line and i mean i look at some other teams like la uh, for example where they got a whole bunch and yeah okay la is kind of stank for a little while but they've got a whole bunch of guys coming ottawa is another one right um so if you wallow in that and the canucks wallowed should there be that wave of guys coming and the canucks had those premier talents but they don't have the, like the pipeline kind of dried up by the way they used a lot of their their resources there uh, as well
2: well, and to that point, at, at what point do the Canucks just stop being bad? At what point are fans okay with the fact that they're moving out of this transition of having all these blue-chip guys, and they've now hit to where they're competing, when is it okay for the Canucks to just start being a good team and start competing? You know, if, if, they, if they've hit on Hughes, they've hit on Pedersen, they've got Demko, they've got, um, they've got Horvath, they've got Miller, they've got all these guys that are in the lineup and they're there Betzer. now. Bester, at what point is it okay for the Canucks to just be a good team without blue-chip prospects? I mean, I get that the results aren't there, and maybe maybe there's an argument to say that is this team, is this core, with this defense, and whatever you want to say, is this a top-10 team competing? We don't know yet. But at some point, the team has to be competitive and play and start winning games and just not have blue-chip guys.
0: And it's also, this is a fickle fan base, right? You can't go as many years as they have uh, without the narrative in this city being like, Oh, the Canucks. Oh yeah. I heard they suck. It's like, well, what do you think? Like, when was the last time you watched the game? 2016. It's like, well, yeah, there you go. Right. Like, I mean, yeah, exactly. it, it's, it's a bandwagon town and if the team is doing well, all of a sudden the, the revenue comes in. Right. And, and that's something that ownership thinks about obviously is like, this is a business. You can't have this team out of the playoffs for so many years in, in a row. And this is the year that they've gone all in. If it doesn't work this year, it, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but uh, you know, one, one of my final questions here, Terry, before we, we let you go is, I mean, I think about this a lot. Maybe I spend too much time on Twitter because I think about this, but what is Canucks Twitter going to be like? the day that Jim Benning is no longer in his position. I mean, as Canucks Twitter has evolved, we've only known the Jim Benning era. He is one of the most divisive figures in Canucks history, certain in the post Messier era is Jim Benning. There's going to be people just celebrating it, but but then what happens? Like this, this is a fan base that looks for scapegoats. They were looking for, you know, Tyler Myers, a great example last night, but why? Because that was a guy that Benning signed. So like, What's going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? Like, How do you see it unfolding when Benning goes, new GM comes in? Is there going to be this complete flip to the script uh, on Canucks Twitter?
2: Well, I'm sure it'll start with a banner flying across Vancouver saying, thank you, (laughs) Francisco. Um, Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, clearly, you, you listened to that interview yesterday, and quite clearly, Francisco is very content with Benning being his guy. Made it very clear that he believes in Benning, believes in the plan, and he wants Benning to be that guy. Um, To your point, yeah, I mean, if you go to Canucks to make the playoffs this year or next year, I mean, there's I don't see a way that Benning survives that, given that this team is very much his team that he's constructed. Um, In terms of Canucks Twitter, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people that are very happy. Um, They're going to finally think that they've made it and that he's gone, but again, someone's going to have to come in and sort of rework or do their whatever they do to the team so it'll be interesting
1: yeah i mean it was you referenced the aquilini interview yesterday on sportsnet 650 and it was interesting because he was definitely standing up for Benning, like you said terry but he did say that he would be very very i think he used three or four varies (laughs) disappointed if the team (laughs) didn't make the playoffs so i do think it's kind of like it's an all or nothing year if this team does fails to make the playoffs. And I, I personally think the Canucks are going to make the playoffs this year. They're in the worst division in hockey. I know some of these, uh, these uh, I don't even know what you call them, but these, you know, Jay Fresh, and again, I don't mind Jay Fresh, but, you know, he's he's got like Seattle finishing with like 96 points this year. I don't see how uh, the Kraken are going to have 96 points this year. I, I, I think the Canucks are going to be a playoff team. But you know, to a lo- a certain section of the fan base, that could be a detriment because that probably means at least one more year of Benning. And again, I think one of the biggest issues for me during the Benning tenure has been his public speaking. He often contradicts himself. He's not a great public speaker. I feel bad for the guy every time he ends up with a microphone in front of him because I mean, he got done for tampering with PK Subban. He, just, he often puts his foot in his mouth, but I do think he's a smart guy. He's been in the game. He's played in the league for 40-plus years. He's not this bumbling oaf that a large group of the fan base believe he is. He is a smart guy. Does he make mistakes? Absolutely. Steve Eiserman has made mistakes. Joe Sackick as a GM has made mistakes. Or I guess he's the president, technically, not the GM. But you know, Sackick's making the calls in Colorado. You know, every GM, every Scotty Bowman, arguably one of the greatest hockey minds in the history of the game, he's made mistakes. And it is what it is every year during free agency. You see team after team overpaying for players. Jim Benning is no different than, I would say, 80% of the GMs in the league when they overpay for players. And it happens, but overall, I think, you know, he's done really good with the high-end talent in this team. And it's what, how he can start to insulate the rest of this core that we seemingly have in place to move forward. And I I know the bubble, a lot of people keep referencing the bubble. Was that an anomaly? Was that actually what this team is capable of doing? We'll see. I do think that this team, if they can make the playoffs, uh, I do think they're kind of built as a playoff team. I think guys like Horvat Miller, even a guy like pod Colson, who I know he's playing, you know, eight minutes, seven minutes a game so far, but I think come playoff time, Pod Colson's a guy that, you know, you want as, as one of your horses in a playoff series.
2: Terry, what do you think? Playoff team? Yeah, I think the, I see them as a three seed right now. I think Vegas, Edmonton, have. I think Edmonton just has a little bit more of a, a higher punch. And I think Vegas is just built so well. And I think, I think they could outperform Calgary. And I don't think Seattle has a chance of getting any hundred points this year. That's just my opinion, but.
0: That's the way I got it too right now. I got, uh, I got Vegas, Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary, Seattle, LA, Anaheim, San Jose. Um, I, I think that that's the way it's going to go. I, I mean, again, it's, it's a weak division, but I, I mean, you know, this is my call to fans out there. It's like, okay, yes, I, I get the frustration with Benning. I, I totally get it. I understand why fans are frustrated. Um, but at the end of the day, you're a fan of this team. If this team makes the playoffs, you should be freaking happy. Uh, playoff hockey in Vancouver. We haven't had a, a playoff game in Vancouver in a long ass time. And I, that's, man, that's what I want this year. I don't, I don't want to hear that thing. The, oh, well, we finished, end up finishing fourth and we get Vegas in the first round again. I don't care. I want playoff hockey. This team needs playoff hockey. These young guys need playoff hockey. If they don't make the playoffs this year, I do think that's, uh, that's obviously, I mean, I'm captain obvious here, but that's a real big problem for this organization
2: yeah no, I agree um playoffs is sort of something that we haven't seen in a long time at least a competitive actual playoff series you know twenty fifteen wasn't you know was kind of a random year but to me it's funny how i i i swear there's some fans that are almost like they just don't even like the team. It's like they just want to, they just want to see them fail and they don't care about them winning. It's really weird to me, but um yeah, I think the team needs playoffs, the city needs playoffs, um, you know, we can sit here and complain all we want about losing guys on waivers that are NHL years. but at the end of the day, it's like you said earlier, you know, let's focus on the good that we have here, and we have a very young, promising team, and we had a couple of great additions with OEL and Garland, and I think this team is ready to take the next step
0: yeah i i completely agree with you terry um terry we're gonna have to let you go uh one more time you can follow terry on twitter if you aren't already terry guest 29 um i want to say final thoughts terry i think you kind of laid it out there pretty good but is there anything else you want to tack on on the end here for uh for the canucks team
2: No, oh, i think we uh we definitely had a good chat there um again just sort of my thoughts on the team i think we all need to just Start focusing on the happiness and start focusing on the good side of hockey and just enjoy what we have and stop worrying about all the minor things. Um, to me, I know, you know, I'm always going to agree with what the GM does. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say I do either, but we need to just enjoy the game that's in front of us and not worry about the little details about every single thing that happens with this team and just enjoy the game.
1: I couldn't agree with you more, Terry. And again, I appreciate you joining Pete and I in the podcast, man. I know time is valuable for a lot of us and yeah, man, thanks for spending the time, man. It's always great to chat with you.
2: Yeah. I appreciate you guys asking me to come back on. I hope we have some more chats in the future. I know I'm coming over there for a couple games. So we get to actually meet in person. So that'll be great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll buy you round when you get over here, Terry. Terry so guest, Thanks for joining us again. Uh, two times. Let's, uh, we'll make it a hat trick next time.
2: Thanks guys.
1: Alright, it's that time of the episode for the free, poor, open floor segment. And as excited as I am about the season starting again, and trust me, I am, I know we all are, there is one thing that I'm really disappointed heading into this season, at least from the Canucks. And according to the rep uh, that we have at work for our season tickets, that's that there's no more physical tickets. I'm a guy that loves to collect tickets, whether it's concerts, sporting events, uh, even I've gone to plays. I always keep my tickets. I got a photo album of tickets of concerts or sporting events I've seen overseas, concerts I've seen in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, Sweden even. And, you know, Pete and I, we had the luxury and the opportunity to go to quite a few playoff games during the 2011 run. We were at the Slay the Dragon game. We were at Game 7 against the Boston Bruins. And I have all my tickets still, all in chronological order in my little photo album. And unfortunately this year, there's no more physical tickets. It's sad to me that we don't get those little keepsakes anymore, those little gems and memories that you know help shape memories that you had going to these shows or sporting events. So as excited as I am about the season starting this year, I am disappointed that you can't get a physical ticket anymore.
0: Yeah, man, that's a great point. And, uh, I didn't even think about that until you mentioned that. But um, that is kind of sad. Uh, you know, it's like it's like digital music in, in holding vinyl, right? It's like you, you like to have that memory. Uh, that's, a, that's a good one, Doug. Uh, for me, I wanted to talk about something that uh, has been talked to death in the last 24 hours. I don't think so, because how good was that Canada-Panama game the other night? Uh, for me, like watching where canadian soccer has has come to or canadian football uh, my dad's english i should say football watching where it is right now is is kind of mind-blowing and the fact that they are right now sitting in a spot to qualify for the world cup that they have one of the best players in the world who scored one of the most unbelievable goals last night i mean geez it was that all, all those things coming together it's like wow like it, it this is really exciting and you know the women's team really has led the charge for the last decade or so and now the men's team is geez they they look really good too and i mean they they may not get to the 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 finals like the women's did, but this team has a real shot at making the world cup and i really encourage everyone to to watch this team uh they've got a long way to go still to qualify but man that game last night hella fun alfonso davies my boy That was awesome. So go Canada, go, and uh, let's see the World Cup. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode eighty-eight just about in the books, and thanks again to Terry Guest for joining us. That was a really fun chat, and and Doug, as you know, we ended up chatting with Terry for quite a while after we hit record as well, and just just kept on going. Uh, Terry's a good guy; he really knows his connect stuff. He's very level-headed with it all, and um, yeah, it was just a, that was a really fun chat again.
1: It was. And yeah, like you said, we ended up talking to Terry after the recording stopped for almost as long as the recording was going on. Um, But yeah, super knowledgeable guy, super easy to chat with, very level headed, which is something that I think you and I both try to do with this platform we've created for ourselves. And yeah, it's just nice to talk to fans like that. You know, we can disagree on things and, you know, we can have different differing opinions on certain decisions or outcomes, but overall to have a nice constructive conversation, it's nice man. And you know, Terry's planning to come over to the mainland and come to some live games. So I know you and I are looking forward to actually getting to meet him in person, but yeah, man, we need, you know, more fans like
0: Terry out there. Yeah, for sure, and I think it's really important for fans to remember as well that you can change your opinions on things. As I think a lot of us use different platforms to uh, really kind of double down on things and dig our heels in. But um, yeah, as a fan, I think it's important to you know remember, evolve, change. What what happened? What was good a couple of years ago eh, may not be good now. So, uh, anyways, great chat with Terry. Um, look forward to bringing him back again, and uh, looking forward to see more of what this season is going to bring um follow us online i'm at pete underscore gas and check out our playlist on spotify we'll add this track to it uh the canuck speak easy playlist give that a listen
1: you can give me a follow on twitter at doug venn you can follow the podcast on twitter at canuck speak as always thanks for listening
0: Hasta luego.